0: All right the passage that we 're considering this morning comes from uh, the book of first Peter now, if you 're wondering where first Peter is, if you happen to bring your Bible, um, it goes first and second Peter first second third John June revelation so it 's more toward uh, the end of the Bible, otherwise um, you will also see the passage um, in back of me on the uh, overhead now I want to give a few preliminary comments before we um, Uh, consider the passage that we are this morning, what we're doing this morning is we are beginning a actually multi-month series on the book of 1 Peter that's going to provide the basis for discussion in our care groups that meet bi-weekly. Now um, you know in, in the past, I think since I've been here, we looked at a number of series but I would call them more thematic series. So. We have looked at, for instance, when I first got here, we went through a series on spiritual formation that I trust many of us found kind of helpful at that point in our lives, in the beginning of Pathway. And then we also considered um, a series on our vision, our core values, our purpose as a church, so that went, went on for a number of weeks. And then we just finished on an ongoing series on mercy ministry and what that looks like and why it's important in connection with our Love Abbotsford ministry. Well, what we're doing now is we're going to consider a book together. Because as we're going through these thematic series, every once in a while, not too many people, but a few said, you know, we should go through a, a, a series on a book. I thought that's a good idea. So what I've done is I've chosen um, First Peter as a book for us to consider together. And this will probably bring us all the way probably well into the summer, actually. And this is an important book because it has high relevance value for us individually as Christians, but also as, as Pathway Christian Church. And um, I hope to demonstrate, because I want to get into the reading now, why this book is so relevant for us. So I want to draw your attention to really, um, this is where we're going to begin, the very beginning of 1 Peter, and what I want to do is consider with you just a, uh, a brief, brief scripture reading Um, This morning, Um, 1 Peter 1, verses 1 and 2. So let's draw our attention to it now. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, when we look at the book of 1 Peter, this is this is one of what we call many epistles of the New Testament or what a more common word that people use is uh, letters, and these are letters that are written by various apostles, many of them written by the Apostle Paul, but we also find some letters written by the Apostle John, as well as Apostle uh, Peter, and you know, the, the nature of epistolary literature, and I've said this before, is it kind of tends to be rather dense, so for instance, when you if you if you if you know your Bible well, you know this already, but if you're if you're if you're kind of becoming introduced for the Bible at the in and in, in, or you know very little about the Bible, you'll discover that, that the Bible has various forms of literature okay, what we call various, what theologians call genres, and so we have, we have narratives, that is stories in the Bible, we have what's called apocalyptic literature filled with incredible images, which we're going to be dealing with a, an apocalyptic book in our afternoon service, the book of Revelation. Um, there's what we call wisdom literature that speaks to us about how we are to live wisely and discern, discernedly in this world, And so there's, there's these different parts of scripture. Well, this is an epistle. And An epistle, as I said, is rather dense, and when we take a look at the introduction, you can say, well, we're only dealing with two verses, and yet, when you really begin to dig into those verses, those, just those two verses, and you begin to unpack this packed portion of the, of the book of First Peter, then you begin to realize, oh, wow, there's, there's, there's a lot here. And what we're going to be dealing with in this series and what we're going to be dealing with this morning is this and and kids I want you to use your imagination in this there's um, there's 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 what we call a tightrope. sometimes you go to a circus and you have an acrobat and a, a, you string a, a tightrope against you know that that's usually far above the crowd right and then you have this person with this pole right and they walk the tightrope. in fact, there was an individual who's Whose name was Philippe Petit in 1974, who strung a tightrope between the Twin Towers of New York City. And this is recent, this was just right after the towers were built. Now, you have to understand that's 400 meters high, or about 1,300 feet. So he's way off the ground. And if you look on Netflix or Amazon Prime, they have a documentary on this, it's rather kind of interesting. But anyway, he, he walked this tightrope between the, 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 the Twin Towers. And the interesting thing is, he didn't do it just once, he did it eight times. And you think about that, I mean, the, the kind of courage and the courage of kind of concentration and skill that that took. And, you know, there was no net. I mean, if he would have fallen, I mean, it would have been a, a bad, I mean, that would have been certainly the end of his life. Well, the reason why I bring that up is because, you know, whether you have been a Christian for a long time or you're a relatively new Christian, or maybe even considering the claims of Christ and Christianity, you need to understand that when you are a Christian, you are always walking a tightrope. You always got that pole in your hand where you're going like this, and you say, well, what do you mean by that? What I mean is what Peter means in the book, where he's talking about our calling as Christians to live in this world, work in this world, witness in this world, and be a benefit to this world. We should all want that. And thus, before the world, but without falling off balance, where we become so close to the world, like a person with a fire where you actually get burned, and you end up falling off the tightrope. So what first Peter, as a book is dealing with, and what we're going to deal with this morning, is, is really the importance of walking that tightrope and maintaining a delicate balance in our lives, which is really, really hard, between being in and for the world without actually becoming absorbed and becoming a part of the world. What does that look like? Why is that such a challenge? And what did it mean for the Christians of Peter's day? That's what we're going to look at, all right? So what I want to do is I want to consider with you now um, the introduction here. And uh, take a look at the overhead, or if you have a Bible, take a look at that as well. And you may... If you have your own Bible, you may have a different translation of the Bible, which kind of makes it interesting. And if you do, I'm going to explain some of this from the original language. So first of all, we read this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. The word apostle is a noun form of the verb apostello, and apostello means actually literally sent one. So Peter was an apostle of Jesus Christ. In other words, he was a follower of Jesus Christ and he was a leader among the 12 disciples. And it was Peter who himself actually fell off the tightrope. Because remember that even though Peter said to Jesus, I will follow you all the way unto death, it was Peter who ended up denying Jesus actually three times. Jesus restored him and put him back to work. But... Peter never, no doubt, forgot what he had done, how he'd fallen off the tightrope, and so now he's encouraging these Christians to walk that tightrope. So anyway, Peter, an apostle, one who is sent by Jesus into the world to carry the ministry, he's the author here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And this is how he begins his letter to them. To them, I'll explain to them in just a moment, but these are Christians. He says, to those who are, and this is really, really important, notice what he calls them, like I said, we're going to unpack this introduction. He calls them elect exiles of the dispersion. Now, I'll get to that dispersion and the other things that come after that. But for now, I want us to understand this. Notice how Peter identifies his readers, and by way of extension, this is how he's identifying us. You and I, as we walk with Christ as Pathway Christian Church, are what we call elect exiles. And you're going like, what in the world is that? Actually, um, and this is what you find when you read the scriptures. Upon occasion, when you when you may have a translation of the Bible that when when the when it comes to you in the English language, it's a translation of the original language, which is Greek. And in the Greek language, the word "elect exiles," though two words in the English language, is really just one word in the original language. And the word in the original language is, and kids, this is going to really sound kind of weird because the Greek sounds weird sometimes, but it's "peripedeus." He's saying, you're peripedemuses, and you're like, well, what is that? Another way of translating it is, rather than elect exiles, we are temporary residents in this world. Temporary residents. Now, let that soak in, let that sink in a little bit and say, okay, I'm I'm a temporary resident in this world. What does that really mean? It means that as residents, we live in this world. We work in this world. We witness in this world. We worship in this world. I mean, we, we, we're not just little spiritual beings that are floating above the world like angels. No, man, we're, we're flesh and blood human beings, and we live in this world, right? So we, we, we reside in this world. We're residents. But in another way, we're only temporary here. We're here for the here and now, but we don't ultimately, in a sense, belong to this world. Let me, let me give you an, uh, a, a brief illustration of this, and this is the only one I can kind of think of at this point, but um, Joy and myself um, are temporary residents here in Canada and at Pathway. And what I mean by that is this. We live here, we reside here, we minister here, but we, so, so, so we, we live among you and we serve among you, but at the same time, if people ask us, so how long have you been Canadians? We have to tell them, well, in a sense, we're not officially Canadians. We're American citizens serving in Canada. So, so we're not citizens here, but neither are we just tourists coming into BC and hanging out for a couple of weeks and seeing the sights and then going home. We are temporary residents. We live here, but yet we are not ultimately citizens here. Okay. That's the way the Bible speaks about you and me. We, 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 we live here, we work here, but in a sense, we, we are, we're not at home here. So when you take a look at the book of 1 Peter, and you take a look at the introduction, he's really saying two things. He's saying, this earth and this place where you live, this is your home. But in another way, it's not ultimately your home. You're not citizens of this life. You're, you're what? You're not citizens of the earth. You're citizens of heaven. Do you, do you see the the kind of tension there? That's the kind of tension. And you know what? Um, if If you seek to if you understand that tension and you seek to live that tension, you're you're always you're always going to feel a little bit out of it. Just Just as just as Joy and I feel a little bit out of it because we're not full citizens of Canada, though we like it here, we love it here, we love to serve here, but you're always feeling just kind of the odd person out. And I don't know if you ever feel that as a Christian, that you feel kind of like, well, you must feel that if, if you're trying to live for Christ and if you're truly convicted of him. You're always going to feel like that, that, that kid in the classroom, and maybe, you, maybe you've had this experience yourself personally, where you were just that kid in the classroom where you were viewed as just different by the other kids. And you just feel like you never quite fit in. That's the way it is as a Christian in this world. So Peter says, you are temporary residents. Well, the question is, now these, these readers, let's get back to the readers. As, as Peter's writing them, he says, you're temporary residents, which raises the question, okay, then where were they residing? Where were they living? Now, let's unpack this further. Take a look at verse 1, and we'll keep moving on. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles or temporary residents of where? The dispersion. In, and then he mentions some territory. So what you have is a Jewish dispersion. And so you remember that in the history of Israel, they were dispersed throughout various regions uh, during the time of Assyria, but also during the time of Babylon, and the Jews just spread throughout the Mediterranean region. Most of them did. They didn't go back to their homeland and rebuild their lives. There's a whole history there I'm not going to get into now. But the point is, is that these Jews now who are converted to the Christian faith have spread throughout the Mediterranean region, and they're living in certain provinces that we read here. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, without showing a, a map up here, we could do that, but just just try to this in your mind. This is in what is known as southern-day Turkey today. At the time, it was called Asia Minor. And these are Jews who were converted to the Christian faith, who had, who had heard the gospel, had good, heard the good news of Jesus, that began in Jerusalem, and then through the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, it began to spread throughout the Mediterranean region, so they end up settling in these various provinces, and they're starting to live out their newfound Christian faith, but they're finding something. They're paying a price for it. They're being opposed by the Jewish community and by competing religions and also just by the culture in general. Now, we have to understand that this, this place in the Mediterranean region, in known as southern-day Turkey today, was, was, was under, Asia Minor, was under the domination of the Roman Empire at this point. And it was very it was very, very difficult for, for Christians to live in, in, the, in the Roman Empire in the Roman world because the Roman world was by and large um, very very opposed to the Christian faith. And, and we really have to understand just the difficulties that Christians faced in this, in this world in, in, and in Asia Minor where they were living, in the domination of the Roman Empire. And here's, here's the major difficulty. When you become a Christian, you give your ultimate allegiance to Jesus Christ. You give your ultimate loyalty, right? And that, that's, that's a fundamental. We make Christ preeminent in our lives. Well, at the time, the Roman Caesar, the great emperor Caesar, was viewed as deity, was viewed as God. And people would say, Caesar is Lord. And the Christians said you know what, we recognize the legitimacy of government, but we cannot go so far as to call Caesar as Lord. There's only one Lord, there's only one king, and that is Jesus Christ. And if the Christians at that time would have just shut up, basically, and say, well, personally, I'll hold to Jesus as Lord, and and that would be my personal faith, but I'll also call Caesar a Lord as well, that would have been viewed as simply compromise. You can't have two gods. You shall not have any other gods before me, right? We read in the Ten Commandments. That's what Jesus says. I am Lord and I am your king. So the Christian said, you know what? We're committing to that, and they paid a price for it. We also need to understand something with the Roman world in that it was filled, like our world, with a lot of vice. So the, in, in many ways, the Roman world was different from our world historically and culturally, but ethically, morally there was there was a lot of parallels between our culture and the roman world about 2000 years ago it was a place of vice it was a place of violence It was a place of various forms of sexual expression, just like we have today. They were going through the same things back then. I won't get into the details of that. It was an entertainment-driven culture. There was a, a lot of poverty at the time. A lot of the things that we face today basically is Rome revisited in our time. This is what makes the book of 1 Peter so relevant for us, because what the Christians went through at that time, man, we're going through the same things today. And just as the Christians of our day, and hopefully we too, feel a little bit odds at culture, sometimes a lot, they did as well. They just feel like they they fit in entirely. Why is that? Why is it that that the Christians of Peter's day, and why is it that, that we don't always feel that we're so, I don't know, at home, at home in this world? And here's the reason why. It's not only because of who we are as Christians, but it's it's really whose we are. It's because of the one to whom we belong. And who's that? Who do we belong to? And Peter defines that in the text. So put verses one and two together. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles in these various provinces. And then he says in verse 2. According to, we are elect exiles, according to a resident, a, a resident, uh, temporary residents. verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Now that, you see how I said epistolary literature is really dense? That's a mouthful. That's a mouthful. And we take a look at verse 2, it's got a, a number of phrases there, and honestly, Each of those phrases could be a sermon in and of itself. Okay, so let's simplify it. What is Peter really saying? He's saying, as those who are temporary residents in this world, in this world but not ultimately of this world, you feel that way and you always feel the odd person out because of who you belong to. And who do we belong to? We belong, I'll shorten this up, we belong to God the Father, who has elected us, that has chosen us, as Ephesians 1 says, actually before the foundation of the world was laid, before whole time. That'll blow your mind. But also he uses the word foreknowledge. And when the Bible uses foreknowledge, it's saying that God has not only chosen us, but he has known us. And this is a knowledge that is like, not just God saying, before you were born, I actually knew of you. No, it's a kind of really personal knowledge where God sets his love on us. So God says, God says, You're different. You're different because I love you and because I have chosen you. You're also different because of Jesus. Jesus has come into this world to set you free, to redeem you from the guilt and the power and the penalty of sin. You you receive the washing away of your sins and thus you're reconciled to God where many in this world are alienated from God. And you belong to the Holy Spirit. All three persons of the Trinity are mentioned here. And it's the Spirit who in every Christian changes their heart, he dwells in them, he lives in them, and he sanctifies them. That means he makes them progressively holy and obedient to Jesus Christ. I mean, all of these things, Peter says to his readers, and he's saying to us as well, this is in your possession. And if you ever feel weird in this world because of your Christian faith, it's because of the one to whom you belong. You belong to him. belong to him so you know what nobody likes to feel weird nobody feel likes to feel odd or different but we have a greater treasure we have a greater treasure that's far far worth more than any kind of odd feelings that we have just simply because we don't fit in in this world okay well Here's something for us to think about. This presents a huge challenge to us, this this being in but not ultimately of the world. It's a challenge that every Christian and every church faces, including our own, and the challenge is this. How do we, remember I talked about a tightrope? How do we we walk that tightrope of being in and for but not ultimately of the world? How do we maintain that but also How do we practice that? Not only in our individual lives, but how do we practice that or give expression to that in in the way we do church as Pathway Christian Church? Because when we started this church, we wanted to pay more attention to the needs of the world and the needs of our city, but at the same time, we didn't want to do so in a way that some churches do so, where you kind of, as you interact with the world, and as you desire to minister to the world individually as a church, that you end up losing some of the beautiful distinctives that you've had part of your heritage. You see where I'm going with this? this? This kind of balance that we want here is indeed really, really hard. It all revolves around what, what theologians call contextualization. And you go, well, what what is contextualization? Well, thanks for asking. It's this. Put up the quote, if you would, from a man named Tim Keller. Notice what he writes. He writes, contextualization, and this is what every church is called to, not just pathway. Contextualization is communicating, and we could say also living out the gospel in a particular culture without assimilating to that culture that is identifying it with with it so closely that we end up compromising ourselves and our distinctives along the way. On the other hand, we have to guard ourselves against what we call separation or withdrawal as a church, where we see the world always out there and is a bad place, and so we don't minister to it, and we end up getting into what we call ethnocentric circles where we get into these kind of narrow backgrounds where we withdraw from the world, and thus we become irrelevant. You see how difficult that is? It's, 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 it's really, really hard. So, so you know, where do, where do we go for maybe some good examples of this? Well, let's go to the Bible. Let me give you three examples, just quickly, three examples of biblical figures who were deeply immersed in this world and had a burden for this world, and yet, at the same time, remained committed to Christ as a child of the covenant. Okay? Let's start with Moses. Kids, you know Moses, right? Grew up with the Bible stories, Moses. Moses was found among the bulrushes of the Nile by whom? Pharaoh's daughter and became an adoptive daughter of, uh, or became an adoptive son of Pharaoh's daughter, right? And where did he grow up? Well, being an adoptive son of Pharaoh's daughter, he grew up in the palace of the king, of the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh of Egypt. So he had it good. He had pleasure. He had more than enough food and drink, He learned the language, he learned the culture of the Egyptians, all of that. Now remember that he was a Jew. He was a child of the covenant. He was a child of God. But providentially, in the wisdom of God, he found himself adopted into the palace of the king. And that's where he grew up. And yet, even though he learned the literature, and even though he he became an Egyptian, so to speak, as an adopted child of of, of the daughter of Pharaoh, he never lost his identity. Never lost the identity. Put that passage, if you would, from the book of Hebrews. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. All of that offered to him by Egypt. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. See, Moses understood that he was not ultimately a citizen of Egypt or a citizen of this world. He was a citizen of heaven, and he kept his sights on that. Can you imagine the temptation that was before him to remain in the pleasures of the palace rather than have to take up the hard task of leading the people out of Egypt and into the promised land? Man, wouldn't you have been tempted to say, you know what, Lord, find somebody else, not me, but not Moses. In the world, not ultimately of the world. How about Daniel? Similar situation. Daniel finds himself in the palace of Babylon, the king of Babylon. And the Bible says that when he was young, he and his friends came into the palace of the king, he learned the language, he learned the literature of Babylon, all of that. And yet ultimately, though he learned these things, he did not become Babylonian. Like Moses, he was a Jew, he was a child of the covenant. He said, I'm going to serve the Lord. And at one point, he said to the... uh, to to the king of Babylon. He said, but let it be known to you, O king, that I and my friends will not ultimately bow down before your gods. Then you remember the whole fiery furnace account, right? King says, okay. And Daniel and his friends are going to pay that price, being burned alive in a fiery furnace. God spared him from that, and that's a whole other story. But you see with Daniel, man, he is in the world, and he is for the world, in the palace of the king, but ultimately, he said, you know what? I'm going to have no other gods before me. I'm committed to the Lord. One final one, very quickly, Apostle Paul. You know, the Apostle Paul was converted to the Christian faith, used by God as an incredible instrument um, for the Lord in the world. And the Apostle Paul, if you study his ministry, he bent over backwards in order to make the gospel, the good news of Jesus intelligible, that is understood by the culture, and accessible to them. So at one point he says in the Bible, when it came to the Jew, I became like a Jew. When it came to a Gentile, when outside the faith, I became like a Gentile. To one who is under the law, I was like one who came under the law. When it was one who was apart from the law, I became one who was like apart from the law. To the weak, I became weak. And he goes on and on, and he basically says that I have endeavored to be all things to all people. So what he does is he works very, very hard and very diligently to make the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, applicable to the world. He didn't back off. He says the world needs the gospel. And so that's what he did. But he never did it to the compromise of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ. He didn't water it down. You say, you know, we're going to go to lowest common denominator so it's not so distasteful to you. So we're going to remove all those things that may be offensive to the world. He never did that. Never. Wonderful example. Now, I leave you with this. There's only one, there's only one who did this perfectly. This is what we call contextualization. And that was Jesus. When you look at the ministry of Jesus, Jesus was immersed, man, he was immersed in the world. He preached to the needy, he taught the ignorant, he healed the sick, he ate with sinners, he immersed himself in the world around him, but he never became a part of it. Jesus never compromised. The Bible tells us he was without sin, he was without, without the ability to compromise, Jesus always navigated, and always, you know, as Christians, we don't look to Paul, ultimately. We don't look to Daniel. We don't look to Moses. We look to Jesus, and we learn from him what it means to live as Christians in this world. So I leave you with this to think about. How are you doing, and how do you think we are doing as a church, in, in navigating that tightrope. And I guarantee, and this, this is going to be the perennial challenge of us individually and as a church. I mean, we're going to, keep, we're going to face this on a weekly basis for all the years we're in existence, until Christ returns. We're always, with every church, we're going to be facing this. How do you think we're doing? How do you think you are doing? How are you walking that, that tightrope? Because I guarantee that you, you always have two kinds of people in the church. You have you have those who want to engage the world and who want to be used of the Lord as instruments in the Redeemer's hands, and what they do is again it's kind of like you're 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 you you got that pole in your hand you're walking and sometimes you can be so engaged in the world that you start to lose your identity, and what happens you start to tilt over and sometimes you can trip or sometimes that you can you can fall. And you end up becoming what Christians Christians used this term years ago. We don't use it today. They became worldly. They're like Esau who sold his birthright. Right? said, sayonara, I'm gone. Right? Or like Peter who fell but who repented and the Lord restored him. But sometimes you have Christians who grew up in the Christian faith but they end up becoming worldly. They sell their birthright. That's, a, that's always a perennial challenge, and we have to guard ourselves. That's why the Apostle Paul says, test yourself, man, test yourself to see that you are in your faith. Make your calling and election sure. So, so here's 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 the thing. We're called to be in the world and for the world and to be very close with it, to minister to it. But watch out. Don't get burned by the Father, don't get singed. On the other hand, sometimes, and you see this in every church too, you have a group, and it's usually it's usually um, among a, a conservative element in a group where what you find is that you, and, and this, is, this is the way I find, especially when your kids are younger, Joy and I went through this as well, where you're raising your kids and you want to raise them well and you want to raise them to know the Lord. And so you teach them and you, you encourage them and you take seriously the promises that are given to them in their baptism, right? So you're raising your kids like this And sometimes what can happen is you protect them to such a degree that your your own theology and your own lifestyle becomes, and sometimes carries into the older years, rather preservationist. Where we kind of circle the wagons. Because don't you know, don't you know that the world out there is an evil place? And it is, because Peter calls it a wicked and perverse generation. So there's a sense where we need to preserve what we have But at the same time, sometimes in preserving and circling the wagons, what we end up doing is we fall into what are called sins of omission, where instead of engaging the world, we circle the wagons, we become our own group, and before you know it, we're not really working in this world all that much at all. We end up becoming irrelevant as individual Christians or as a church. You see the difficulty of what I'm talking about? This tightrope of preservation and fidelity to the Lord but also at the same time have a burden for those outside of Christ in need of the gospel. That is not an easy thing, but we're going to be exploring that more and more as we go on. And and just this one simple thing, take a look, if you go back, A.V., if you can put up the text again. Peter notices these things, and he's going to spell these things out in the book, but notice what he says, in every epistle, Has what we call a salutation or greeting, and this is how verse two ends: May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Notice he doesn't just say, as sometimes pastors do in the benedict or not benediction, the greeting of the church: Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter puts it a little bit differently. He says, "Grace and peace be to you, in fullest uh, be multiplied to you. Grace and peace be multiplied to you." Or we could also translate it in this way: Grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. That's the only greeting that you will find in the New Testament that is put that way. Not just grace and peace, but grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Why does he say that to his readers? May the grace and peace of God be yours in fullest measure. Because for them, (laughs) as well as for us, (laughs) we need the grace and peace of God in fullest measure. If we're going to be able to walk that tightrope in a way that we should. Because you know what, my friends? You and I can't do that on our own. We are weak, weak, weak. And we need divine help that comes from above through God's grace and the shalom that he offers us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit to be able to be the kind of individual Christians that we need to be, but also who we need to be as a church that wishes to preserve the best that we have but also to engage the world at the same time. May God give us his grace and peace and spirit to that end. We'll be dealing more with this in the weeks to come. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, Lord, all we want to do at this point is pray for your grace and peace and blessing upon us as we navigate together what it means to walk this tightrope of being in, for, but not ultimately of the world. Lord, we need your grace and spirit to that end. We pray that you will grant that to us. We pray as we navigate that together that you would keep us together, focused on the same things. Lord, we pray that as we lay out at our congregational meeting what we believe is a good balance that we're trying to attain in terms of our purpose as a church and our identity, we pray that you will bless that meeting for us too as we as we consider these things together. Finally, Lord, we pray that you will bless this series, this ongoing series that we have, and we pray that as we meet this week as our care groups, that we might be able to fill this out more together and have some very profitable and kind and generous discussions with each other as we, as we consider these things together. So, Father, this is what we bring before you this morning, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.